We want to continue to talk about being hungry this morning. Are we hungry for the Lord? Are we hungry? <laughs> He's hungry. Amen. Are we hungry? Um, we're on a journey of what it means to be hungry for God. And hunger, I guess you could define it this way, meaning, meaning that we want all that God has for us. We want everything that God has for us. We don't want to sell ourselves short or be satisfied with anything less than having all that God has for us. First of all, do you believe God has good things for you? Do you believe he's got something good in store? Then wouldn't it just be wise to, to want it? Why would we not want something that God has for us? Why would I not want it? Why would you not want that? So the question that we ask ourselves this morning, are we really hungry? Are we really eager to receive all that God has for us? Now, why is being hungry important? Why is it important to be hungry? Well, every mother here that has ever made a meal for your children, you know how important it is to protect their appetite. That if you had a meal made with broccoli and vegetables and some meat and potatoes and you worked hard and you provided a good solid meal the last thing you would want your children to do is go fill up with Doritos and Snickers right and why is that mom somebody tell me some mother tell me why is it important that you protect your child's appetite tell me Janine for their what for their health do you want them to be healthy you mean Snickers aren't healthy <laughs> Doritos aren't good for you. A, a, a heavy diet of Doritos and Snickers would make you an unhealthy person. A good diet, a balanced diet of broccoli and, 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 and dairy products and good things will make you healthy people. A spoiled appetite means a person won't eat, and thus they will become malnutrition. Now, it may not happen overnight, and they may not even feel hungry. They may say, Mom, I'm not hungry. Well, no, they're not hungry. Why? Because they're filled up with junk. They're filled up with stuff that isn't going to bring them a nutrition lifestyle. They're filled up with stuff that's going to be bad for them. Now, why is it necessary for us to measure our hunger? Why is it necessary that we should measure our hunger? It's always good for us to take a, an accounting of our life, to go back and review our situations, to monitor the direction that we're heading in. Jim talked about having a GPS this morning, and that is a great analogy for what it is to follow God's Word because God gives us clear direction in His Word. And if we're not monitoring ourselves based upon are we hungrily receiving it and going after it and following it, then we might have the great instructions, but we could be on a totally different road. We could be totally going a different direction and probably... If we get there, it'll be a way, a, a, a long process if we ever get there. Chances are we probably will never get there if we're not following up the GPS or following up God's word. So it's wise of us, and it's necessary for us to measure our hunger. If something's not right in my body, if something's just not right in the way I'm feeling, it's wise to look at how I'm caring for my body, right? It's wise for me to look at it and say, man, did I do anything that caused this? Did I do anything that am, that's hurting my, my, myself? Am I the cause? Did I do something? And it's good for us to recognize that. It, it's good for us to go back and recognize, am I taking care of 
my body? Or am I overweight or am I losing weight because I'm not feeding it or I'm feeding it the wrong things or if I'm malnutritioning myself, I need to know that. We started out a couple weeks ago talking about being a hungry person and a hungry person is easily satisfied. That means a person is quick to receive, slow to get offended. That he doesn't need a big meal all the time. It, he just needs nourishment. And he's eager to get to it. And he will seek out it. Seek it out. And he will find it in all situations. And what this person isn't, this person typically isn't overcritical. This person isn't easily offended. This person is, is, is very satisfied with a tuna fish sandwich. He doesn't have to have a steak all the time. He doesn't have to have fanfare all the time. He just needs nourishment, and he's easily satisfied with nourishment. And last week we talked about a person is a seeking person, and that that person is seeking all that God has for him, and that that person is able to uh, glean out a good meal, even maybe when the best chef didn't present it. <laughs> because we always don't come into a situation where we're getting the best but God says, if you're hungry for me, you know what? You'll find something. I've got something there for you. I've got a nugget for you if you'll just search it out. Seek it. Find it. You will get it. Today I want to talk about a hungry person. We started to talk about it a little bit last week. We ended on it, and I want to talk more about it today. But a hungry person is a person that loves the Word of God, that loves the Word of God, and he knows how to read it, he knows how to study it, and he knows how to meditate on it. A hungry person knows where to get his sustenance. A hungry person knows about or desires to get into the Word of God because the Word of God is the source of our life and strength. And, and let, me, let me talk about it this way a little bit. Maybe we can bring it back into something that's a little bit more uh, meaningful to us. So I'm going to talk about it from the, from the perspective of we've all been through high school, I'm assuming, or in the process of, or maybe even in the college. And when you have a high school class or a college class on advanced mathematics or history or English, or it doesn't make a difference what the subject is, but it's important as a student for you to have a clear understanding of the material so that when the final exam comes, you have a good opportunity to pass the class. It's or, and in order to pass the class, it's, it's nice to have a few important elements. First of all, it's good to have a good instructor. It's more important that you have the correct textbook. And then it's even more important that you read it <laughs> and that you study it and that you try to glean from it. And it makes it really nice as if the instructor says, all right, here, you've got this great big thick book. I'm going to tell you what you're going to be tested on. And when you can learn what you're going to be tested on, then you have a really great chance of passing the class if you will then apply it. Well, how does this apply to our Christian life? Well, let me tell you right now, we are going to have a final exam. There's a, day coming, there's a day coming when you and I are going to sit down in front of God and he's going to say, okay, it's test time. And this is just not a little pop quiz. This is the final exam. And a failed grade here is not something that you want because a failed grade on this final exam is an eternity of punishment and pain and separation from God. Now, we need to recognize that. 
We need to see how important it is that we pass the exam here. This is not something that we can just make light of. We have to recognize that eternity is eternity. And it lasts for a long time. Romans chapter 14. Chapter, 11, uh, chapter 14, verses 11 and 12. Jesus says, It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. That sounds to me like a final exam. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Just as people are destined to die once, then after that to face the judgment. It sounds like a final exam. There's nine other passages throughout the New Testament that talk about judgment day. So it's important that we understand that we have a final exam that's coming, and every man, woman, or child is going to have that day. No one will be exempt from that final exam. Do we understand that? Class, are we prepared? Do you know when your exam's coming? No. You do not know when it's coming, but you can be sure that it is coming. And you can know that we have a good instructor. Now, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about Jesus. We have a good textbook called the Bible. And when we have a good instructor and a good textbook, we have a great opportunity to pass the exam if we will listen and if we will read and if we will study and if we will apply, you have a great opportunity to pass the exam. How can you pass a class if you haven't studied the material? I don't know about you, uh, but I used to have dreams, and I still have them every once in a while, that I'm back in college, and it is at the end of the semester, and I have to go in and take an exam that I didn't even know I had a class of. Anybody have that? It panics you. I mean, it just it wipes you out because now you go in and you say, time for the exam, and you didn't even know you had the class, and she's handing out the test. Well, I'm, so, I'm so glad somebody else have had that. Yes. There's got to be something there. What's going on, Janine? Well, I'll tell you what, there is no worse experience than to have an exam that you didn't study for. So the question for us today are we preparing ourselves for the exam that we are going to have? Are we hungry? Are we clearly absorbing everything we can eagerly so that we can go into this exam day confident that we're going to pass? Do we appreciate how important the Bible is to our success in passing the course of, of life? Do we appreciate it? Or do we just look at it and say, well, it's just the book? Are we already on that journey? Maybe some of us are this morning. And I, in fact, I, I would say with quite assurance that I know many of us are in this room already on this daily journey of digging into our lessons for the day. But it's still good for us to come back and think about it. It's still good to come back and re-examine it. Because the days that we're living in are getting harder. They're getting darker. And, 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 and the devil is truly ramping his attacks on us. We may be relatively protected in Charlevoix here because we don't have some of the bad stuff going on, but that doesn't mean the devil's not at work. I tell you, there was an oppression on me this morning. It was hard 
But thank the Lord, he, we broke through. There was a breakthrough today. We don't have to live in it. We don't have to put up with it because the devil, even though he's active, we serve a greater God, amen? They are not equal. God is here. Satan is way down here. Satan is a created being. God does not give in to Satan ever. Ever does he ever give in. So this morning, as we talk about what it takes for us to pass our final exam, we need to take a look at some examples in God's Word about how do we do this. Acts chapter 17, verse 11, talks about the Berean Jews. The Bereans, Jewish believers. It says, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And that is, those are the kind of people you want to minister to. Those are the kind of people you want in your church. That they, that they received the word with eagerness. They were eager. They were hungry to receive the word. And not only did they receive it, but they searched it out and they examined it. Not to argue with you, not to create a controversial point, because we're told in Scripture that, that foolish talk and idle chatter can cause problems, and not to do that, but they did it because they wanted to make sure that it was true. That's good. That's good. You don't want to be misled. The Berean Jews were, were eagerly accepting the word of Paul, but they were also seeking out and they were searching the Old Testament scriptures to make sure what Paul was saying, that he had basis to say what he was saying was true. Now, they didn't have the Bible like we have today because the Bible wasn't written yet. But they were seeking out Old Testament scriptures, making sure that Paul had basis right so that, he then, so that they could believe the new revelation that Paul had because Paul had a new revelation of Christ fulfilling the Old Testament law. The Old Testament was fulfilled in Christ. It wasn't done away with. It was fulfilled. And so they needed to see what it was to see how Christ filled it. So they were seeing that as Paul was talking to them, and they were, they were believing in it. They were hungry for God. It's noted that they were of more noble character than others of their day. Now, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I would like to be called a noble person. <laughs> I would rather be called noble than ignoble. And so I think what made them noble might have been some things like they were teachable, that they were eager to learn, that they didn't resent being taught, that they weren't defensive, they weren't offended, they were eager to know more, and at the same time they were willing to put action to their learning because they were examining for themselves what the Scripture said about what Paul was teaching. So these people had integrity, they had authenticity about them. They were eager to learn, and then they were eager to search it out for themselves to make sure that it was true. Now, last week, I made a mistake. And there was a Berean here last week that told me that I made a mistake. Did anyone else catch it in the notes that I handed out last week? My scripture that I said of, was what, what, what was it, Pat? Isaiah, I think it was Isaiah. Was it Isaiah? It was not 5, it was 55, verses 6 through 8 or whatever it was. So, see, it's good that you check it out because I misquoted the, ref the, the Scripture reference. 
So it appears that the Bereans took responsibility for their own spiritual appetite and their own spiritual growth. Yeah, that's really important, that they took responsibility. They picked up the fork and they picked up the knife and they cut the meat that Paul was giving them and they chewed it and they ate it and they digested it themselves. They didn't wait for somebody to mash it up and force feed them. No, they ate themselves. And, and these are the type of people that we need to be. These are the type of people that we need to, uh, we need to emulate them. And, and these are not the people that we're going to blame others if they weren't being spiritually fed. They weren't going to blame it on the worship leader. They weren't going to blame it on the teacher or the pastor. Or they weren't going to blame it on anybody else because they took responsibility and they applied action to it. Is that who you are today? Can you call yourself a Berean today? Do you want to be called an Abrian today? A hungry person is a person that hears the word of God and is challenged to understand it. Challenged to understand it by the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would give relevance to it and give life to it. If you want to know a good way to learn God's word, then there's a very simplistic way to do that. If you were to study God's word like you were going to be a teacher of God's word, you would learn it better. Can I just encourage you with that? A very simplistic way to look at something, if you want to learn it, the best way to learn it is to teach it. The best way to learn it is to teach it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, Paul, in this last letter to Timothy, says, to Timothy, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is, of, it is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best, Timothy, to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. Paul, Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, learn it to teach it. When you learn something to teach it, all of a sudden you have a better way of grasping the concepts because you have to explain it later. Paul is warning Timothy not to get caught up in any form of false teaching or arguing over silly words and philosophies because we can do that, right? We can get in a silly little argument that totally distracts us and takes us away from the Word of God because we get caught up in some silly little distractions. So we're to present ourselves to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the Word of God. Another way to do it is given to us in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, the first two verses. Paul again says to Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom. So again, looks like Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, you have an exam coming, and, uh, and the one will judge the living and the dead. And in view of this, I give you this charge, Timothy. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So Paul is all about teaching, preaching the Word of God. He's all about learning the Word of God. He's all about us um, understanding what it is so that we could then properly discern it for ourselves, we can properly live it, and we can properly teach it. What we're not told to do is that we're not, to we're not told to preach about necessarily the social issues of the day the political agendas of the day, the latest motivational trends on positive lifestyles of the day. 
Uh, we're not to really get into the name it, claim it, prosperity thinking, which would be uh, putting a guy in the a genie in a bottle type of a strategy. Paul does not talk to Timothy about that. He says, no, what you do is that you get into God's word and you use it, Timothy, to correct, rebuke, and encourage. To correct, rebuke, and encourage. You see, there's three things that Paul talked to Timothy about. To correct, rebuke, and what's the third one? Encourage. That's the only one we really want to hear. We like the one about encouragement, but we really don't like the first two. We really don't like to be corrected or rebuked. Paul didn't say, Timothy, go, go preach and teach about the political agendas of the day. Go out there and just preach a nice feel-good message, Timothy. Go out there and tell the people how good they are all the time. No, first of all, correct them, rebuke them, and then encourage them. So we are to receive God's word for what it's supposed to be. Remember what we're doing here. We're preparing ourselves for our final exam. And we want to know what we're being tested on. If you really want to pass the exam, then study hard at the beginning of the class. Study hard at the beginning of the semester. Because what you're going to be tested on at the end of the semester, you have to learn in the first part of the semester. That's the first part of life. So right now, now is the time. Now is the time to be, to be learning this. Now, you may say, well, Mike, I'm not a preacher, and I'm not a teacher, so this really doesn't apply to me. I just live a life of going to school or work every day, and I just live my normal life, and I have no opportunity to preach or teach, so why do you even talk like this? Why do you even say this? Well, let me ask you the question. How does having a hunger for God's Word impact your life? How does it have an impact on your life, whether you're a preacher or a teacher or just a good man in the, in the pew and you, and you just go to work every day? Is there an impact on your life of God's Word? Here's a few questions to consider. Do you want your life to prosper? Do you want your life to prosper? Do you want God's blessing in this life and the next life? Do you really want to enjoy this life? Do you want to pass the final exam? See, all of this, you can t- God's word is applicable for every aspect of life, and it gives great blessing in our current day-to-day living. When I learn God's word and I live by it, you know, it keeps me from the guilt and the consequences of poor choices. When I learn God's word and I absorb it and I study it and I meditate on it and I learn to do what it says, then life will be better for me. It's not necessarily easier, but it will be better because I will understand what God's asking me to do and I will be able to grasp his concepts what, I'm really, what I want to make sure that I'm not doing today, I am not trying to put anybody, or I'm not trying to take a good thing, like learning all about God's Word and gleaning all we can and even memorizing God's Word. Those are good things. And what I'm not trying to do is bring any guilt or condemnation to anybody if they haven't been in God's Word. Because we can take messages like this And people can walk out feeling very condemned and feeling very bad about themselves because they haven't been doing something. I don't want that to happen today. I am not in any way, shape, or form trying to um, hurt anybody or hurt anybody's um, feelings about themselves. That's not my point. My point is I'm trying to create a hunger. I'm trying to create an attitude of examination of our one spirit as to what are we doing? 
And are we understanding things? Scott. Amen. Today, today's a good day to start. I like it. Thank you. Today is a day. Today, if you, if you haven't picked it up in the past, don't worry about it. Today's a day. That's a good word. You know, we, we had a really good class on Wednesday night. And, and um, I, I wish we all would have been there because we, we talked about Wednesday night having a hunger, uh, even though, well, we didn't talk about having a hunger for God's word, but we, we talked about having the intent of one's heart. And as we have an intent of our heart to desire to live for God, that the result then of that is that we are able to live with a right intention to give us the hunger of God's word. And we're not living for God with a wrong heart or a wrong intention because we can do the right thing with the wrong attitude. We can do the right thing in the wrong way and totally miss the blessing that God has for us, right? So when I can get, and it's in my heart, that it's my privilege and it's my opportunity to live a holy and righteous life, meaning that I'm living a life in right standing with God, that when I can get that into my heart, now I can live a heart, a right way before God as a result of my salvation, not to gain my salvation. You see that? I mean, there's, we, it's the same thing. It's, we're, to, we're called to live a holy life. We're called to live a righteous life. But if I do it for the right reasons, I'm doing it, and that brings freedom to me, not bondage to me. If I feel like I have to live a right life or if I feel like I have to read God's word to please God, then I'm putting bondage on you and I'm putting pressure on me to live that way to please God. But if I could look at it from the perspective of, no, this is my privilege. It's my opportunity because God gave so much for me. It's just what I want to do for him that I can learn more about him. And I can do the same thing and get a totally different result because of my heart's attitude. And that's what I'm trying to get at here this morning. I'm trying to create a level of hunger for us in, in us that we will seek God's word because God's worthy of it. Not in any way to gain his favor. Not in any way to get a brownie point from God because God's not into brownie points. No, he's into loving his people. And he's into showing us how he can bless us. So it's this hunger attitude that I hope we can get that takes us from being able to just, being able to not to get enough of God's word, that we're so intent to get more. That's what I hope we can get out of something like this. That we can have an unending appetite for all I can get out of God's word and it just gives me pleasure beyond anything else in the world because God fills me. So what can I expect? What can you expect today if you, as do as Scott said, that today is the day. If I begin reading the Bible and if I begin to meditate it on a regular basis, what can you expect to happen in your life? What can you expect? Well, Andy Rao, a senior editor for Bible Gateway, says this. He says, I can say with all honesty that everything will change. But it may not be the way that you'd think. Change will happen from the inside out, not the outside in. If you're looking for a genie in the bottle, you'll be disappointed. The Bible isn't a magic book of ancient wisdom. It's a book about life and about God's love for you. 
So what Andy's referring to is exactly what I'm trying to express today, and that, that as we can get a hunger for God's Word, it's very relevant for our life today. That's what's so amazing about this book. It was written four, five, six thousand years ago and two thousand years ago, but it's still as relevant today as it was when it was written. Why is that? Because it's the Word made flesh. That's Jesus. It's the Word of God. It's His very words. They never change. They're alive. So reading and studying and meditating in God's word defines the standard. Greg? Yes. Yeah. Amen. What Greg said is that the, it's a living word, and depending on where you are in the season of life that you're in, when you read a particular scripture, something totally different totally relevant for that situation can pop out of it. And it, it's so real. It's so true that way. You can read the same scripture over and over and over again, but yet the, because it's alive, it just pops off the pages at times. It's so good. So reading and studying and meditating God's words defines the standards of which a Christ follower, a true Christ follower, is to live by, and unless a person truly reads it and studies it and meditates on it and loves it, the person will not really be able to understand the standard, no less live by it. You know what I mean? We have to read this. This is not an optional, guys. We must read God's Word. If you're going to be able to pass the exam, you must read the content. You must develop a time of study and reading and meditating on God's Word. There's no other way around it. You really can't be a Christian without it. Can I just tell you that? Don't fool yourself. Don't, don't ignore God's word and think you can be a pleasing person to him because you don't even know how to be pleasing to him because you don't know what his standard is. You must read his word. Nancy. Sure. You need a spirit, soul, and body. And I have found over the last 30 years of my life his word feeds all three parts of me. Amen. When I get immersed in his word, I feel his presence in my spirit, and my soul leaps within me. He has ministered to my physical body by saying, by reminding me of scripture to speak in prayer, and I have seen results. Amen. Many times as I've worked over the last 30 years, and two departments for the county and have had challenges, the words that I have read and the Holy Spirit has allowed me, showed me how to meditate on them. He has brought to my remembrance in the courtroom um, as Joni was collecting taxes <laughs> and other monies for the county. His word would, would just gently come back inside of me. It works. Amen. He is alive. His word is everlasting. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for sharing that. You know, it's really important. I can remember when I was studying for exams and, and uh, more when I was telling my kids. It's always easier to tell your kids something than do it yourself. <laughs> but, um, you know, they would come to me and I remember them, they were studying for the test and everything, and I would always ask them the question. I said, did you study? They, well, they would ask him and say, Dad, pray for me so I can pass this class. 
The first question is, did you study? If you didn't study, I'm not praying for you. Because you can't pray for God to give you something you don't have, right? But if you studied, the answer is, yes, I will pray. And just like Nancy said, I will pray that the Lord will bring back to your mind the remembrance of what you learned. But you have to study first. You can't expect not to study, then God helped to, find, to pass the test. That's called cheating. <laughs> and God doesn't cheat. <laughs> and he's not into cheaters. So we read God's word so that we then can ask him, God, bring it back to me when I need it. If you want your life to be better in this life, you want to know how to get through tough times in your life, read God's word so that when you are going through a difficult time, his word will wash over you and give you a truth that you can hold on to because he never tells us something that he won't do, right? He's never made a promise to you that he won't keep because he can keep all of his promises. John chapter 15 tells us a good word picture of how our dependence on God's word is so necessary for us to live. Now, the day of his day, they were an agricultural people, so therefore this meant a lot to the people that lived then. But it, we can also associate it with this. John chapter 15, the first five verses, it says this, I am the true vine, and the Father, my Father, is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. It sounds to me like a final exam there. It sounds to me like the gardener's coming through the garden and examining the vines and saying, this one's dead, this one's alive, what's dead I'm cutting off, but what's living I'm going to continue to prune, right? It sounds like an exam. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Then first of all, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, Jesus says, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Amen. So in this passage, Christ is describing the proper relationship of a human person to God. Jesus is the vine or the trunk of the tree. God the Father is the gardener who takes care of the vineyard. We people, you and I, are the branches that are grafted into the vine upon our salvation. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, he grafts us in. We are now part of the tree or we are part of the vine. And the importance of understanding this relationship is so that after we're committed to it, after we're, after we're already grafted in, now we have to be committed to stay connected to the vine. I can't disconnect myself after I've been connected and expect to live. You've all seen a branch that breaks off of a tree. It's got green leaves on it for a while. But as that branch lays there disconnected to the tree, what happens to the leaves? They shrivel up, they get dry, they get brown, they die. Why? Because the branch died. It's not connected to the vine anymore. So we must understand that's what we must do. We must stay connected to the vine. Now here's the thing that the battle that we're in, we experienced it today. I experienced it and maybe you did too. But hear this, our flesh man, we are broken in relationship with God until we are grafted back in through salvation, right? We are not a part of the vine in our natural life. We are a broken off, and, and the gardener comes along, and he heals us, and he grafts us into the tree. 
And here's Satan here. Satan is on the outside looking in, and he may not be able to stop that process. If the Holy Spirit draws the man, Satan may not be able to stop him from receiving the forgiveness of Christ. But, let me, but I will tell you that every day thereafter, it is Satan's job. It is Satan's, his main focus is to break the branch off the tree. He will jump on that branch. He will pull on it. He will do everything he can to pull that branch and break it off the vine. He couldn't stop it from being grafted, but he's going to try every day to break it off. You're in a battle every day, and it's your job to make sure that you do not let Satan break the branch. You must stay connected to the vine. How does he do it? How does Satan do it? He tries to fill you with all kinds of junk from this world. He tries to come in and gives you all kinds of distractions and all kinds of other things that would rob you of your appetite from staying in God's word. You must stay connected in God's word if you're going to have sustenance in your branch. If you're going to have that life-giving fluid um, pumping into that branch to feed those leaves, you must be connected to the word of God. Again, Andy Rouse says this, a branch gets its nourishment from the vine or trunk. Our spiritual nourishment comes from Scripture, which provides the context for a dynamic relationship with God. This isn't just a religious jargon thrown in for encouragement. No, listen to this. Our relationship with God is informed by Scripture. And according to Jesus, this relationship is what gives us life itself. If I'm not into God's Word, how can I understand God? I can't do it on my own. It's not, it's not in myself. It's not in me. All right, let me, let me time for a reality check here a little bit. I'm not trying to do anything here to set anybody up to fail. Are God's words, are his commands really doable? Can we really do this? Can we really do this? Scott, you were right on this morning, man. I'm so glad you said that because... If our Bible reading and our listening to Scripture, if it becomes a heavy burden to you, if it becomes something that, that, that you just struggle with, can I just encourage you to check, your, check some things in your life? Can I just encourage you to go back and ask the question, and why, why is, am I struggling so much reading God's Word? There's probably some things we need to check on here a little bit. But I don't want to make this condemnation or guilty. I just want you to know that today's the day. Today's the day to start. Here's a, way, here's a good way to, to help you do this. Ask yourselves a question. After you've read some passages, after you've read, ask yourself the question, what did I just read? What did I just read? Remember, it's not the quantity. It's the quality. So read a couple, read a couple passages. You don't have to read chapters. Read a verse or two. And now put the Bible down and say, what did I just read? Can I repeat it? Not word for word necessarily, but can I get this, do I, do I get the gist of it? Do I understand what God's saying to me? And if you can do that, you can find out for sure that you're reading things for the right reason because you're getting something, you're getting some nutrition out of it. You're just not reading it to, to be legalistic. You're just not reading it to try to check off the box. No, you're trying to actually learn something out of it. And when you meditate and learn and, and, and study it that way, the Bible becomes alive to you. It's amazing how that works. When you read it to learn it and not read it to check the box, it makes a total difference in how you read God's Word. 
James McDonald says this about Bible reading. Ultimately, we want to saturate our minds with God's word so that it can increasingly so that it can be increasingly true of us that our delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law we meditate day and night. That's Psalms chapter 1. The goal is saturation, meditation, immersion, growth, and ultimately love. Not legalism, not hypocrisy, not self-righteousness, not compulsion or guilt. The disciplines of a sincere faith are not intended to be an intimidating obstacle between you and God, but a way of deepening intimacy with the one who has called you his child and wants the best for you. God wants you to absorb his word. He wants you to meditate on it. He wants you to learn it so that you grow from it and that you grow in your relationship with him. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. Bonnie gave me a really nice little book that I read this week about meditation. You know, meditation, I know, gives us some bad connotations right away. We think of meditation, you probably think of some Eastern cult, and you probably get scared of the word. Well, let me tell you that meditation has its basis in God's word. Read the Psalms. Read the psalmist talked about how he meditates on God's word day and night and how he studies it and how he thinks. Here's meditation. The way to do it godly is this. Yes, it is a quiet time. You get by yourself. You turn all the noise off. You turn the radio off. You turn your CD off. You turn the music off. Just get quiet. And yes, you empty your mind. The problem with the Eastern cults is that once you emptied your mind, you then let your mind fill up from what was in you. And then, that, then it became more of you coming out of your mind. Well, when you start doing that, who are you? You're broken, and, and, and you're, you're an evil person because there's nothing good within a man. So we're not talking about filling up your mind with what's within you. No, you fill up your mind with God's word. So now as you read God's word and sit quietly and then you think about it, what did I just read? What did I just read? As we conclude this, I'm Jackie, we're just going to conclude quietly here. We're not even going to get any music here. We're just going to talk about how do we do some of these things. Psalms chapter 119, 97 to 98. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. I meditate on it all day long. Do you read God's word and remember it? Think about it? Chew on it? Yeah. Try it. Try it sometime. Just go out and get a little piece of that, that, that nugget, like a, like a piece of good, tough beef jer- jerky. <laughs> you just got to chew on it. You just got to keep, you know, you just got to chew on it because it's, it's got so much stuff to it. This morning, let's take a spiritual inventory of our lives. Am I hungry for God? Am I hungry for the word of God? Am I taking time to buy, read my Bible and, and is the study motivating me? Am I looking forward to my quiet time before the Lord in my own personal prayer closet? Do I enjoy sharing and talking about what I've learned? These are some things you need to think about. Do the words seem to leap off the pages at times as the Holy Spirit brings the word of God alive? Yeah. If you're struggling in some areas, there are things for you to do. Pray and ask God to give you some hunger. Pray and ask God, God, give me hunger for your word. Begin small. Don't set up for yourself failure and discouragement. Don't, don't say, all right, I'm going to spend the next hour 
meditating in God's word. No, because you're probably going to fail in it. So don't do that. Take, how about taking five minutes? Take five minutes here, five minutes there, maybe ten minutes tomorrow, whatever, and just grow in it and start small and just start letting it take life in you. Remember, it's not the quantity, but it's the quality that we're going after here. Set up a time in your schedule. Try this. Actually put in your day timer. Put in a scheduled time where you're going to read God's word today. Develop a discipline here. And then meditate and read it and study it and meditate on it. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring this time alive. Here's what I don't want you to do. Do not become legalistic about it. If you put it in your schedule and you happen to miss a day, no big deal. Don't, don't beat yourself up over it. There's going to be exceptions to every rule. Just don't let the rule, don't, just don't let the exceptions become the rule, however, right? Discipline yourself to get hungry for God's word. Just start eating it, and I guarantee you, you'll get hungry. Start reading God's word, and I, I, I'm sure that the Lord will come and, and he'll fill you up, and I know he'll give you a hunger for more. God's love for us is so deep that he will reveal more of him in his word every day. Every time you get into it, I promise you, he will make himself alive. He's just waiting for you to dig into his promises. Amen. Thank you so much for being a part today. Thank you for en encouraging with your words and, uh, and, and participation. This is good. This is how we get hungry for God, by sharing each other's good words. Amen. That's good. Thanks for sharing. You guys are an encouragement to me. I just want you to know that. Just the fact that you're here is a great encouragement. So thank you. Thank you for being who you are. You're good people. You're godly people. Amen. Today, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your purpose in our hearts and our lives today. And God, we just thank you for being so real to us. Thank you for showing up all the time. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your Bible. Thank you for your scripture. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your correction and rebuke. Thank you for all of that. And Lord, I pray that you would just give us hunger in this body. Give us a hunger for more of you, that we would be so um, consumed with you that there wouldn't be room for the world because we fill ourselves up with you so much. And we just ask you, Father, we give you the authority and we give you the opportunity to work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.